I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One journalist digging away until they have their story. But sometimes great things can happen when journalists team up. This is one of those stories. I'm Maeve McClendigan. This is The Tip-Off. I'm Samir Jaraj. I currently work at The New Statesman, um, but I was a freelancer at the time I did this story. Back in 2016, Samir Jaraj had a day job. At the time, I was working for a race equality charity. But he always had an eye out for a story. The charity he was working for had been doing all kinds of research into the hostile environment and the impact the government's immigration policy was having on various areas of life. Now, this was before the Windrush scandal broke, so there wasn't really much discussion going on about this. But Samir was interested in finding out more. At the end of 2016, um, I started looking into data sharing agreements. There had been, um, I think, one that was known about at the time, which was around the around the healthcare data being shared with the Home Office. Then around the same time, um, there was an issue around education data. So f- the, the pupil census essentially kind of being um, being shared and potentially being used to Uh, target families because they had enrolled their child in school. So we knew of some official organisations sharing information with immigration authorities. But what about the police, he wondered? So I had a a theory, which was that um, I wondered if victims of crime um, would be caught up in, in this system as well. Samir knew the police would work with immigration officials when handling the perpetrators of crime. He wondered if the same was true for those who were victims of criminal acts. This was too big a topic to look into on his own. After all, he was working full-time in his day job. He needed help, and he knew just who to contact. I'm Natalie Bloomer, a freelance journalist. Natalie was working at politics.co.uk, and had done a powerful report about immigration authorities targeting people who were homeless. She hadn't spoken to Samir before, but his was a name she recognised. Samir and I followed each other on Twitter, and I think we'd had a few interactions on Twitter. 
Um, it was shortly after I published um, the homelessness story that he contacted me and just said, look, I'm looking into data sharing between, you know, different organisations and the Home Office. Would you like to to sort of do that with me? And he explained that he was he had a full time job and he was quite limited in, in how much he could do during the day. Um, and it was it was it sounded really interesting and it was, um, you know, the areas that I was interested in. Um, and so I, you know, agreed very quickly. And so Natalie and Samir decided to start working together, sharing tips, divvying up the workload, with Natalie making calls during working hours and Samir digging away at the data when he could. We have a very good working relationship and we've actually continued to, to work together since then, really, because I think we have different um, sort of skill sets and, and, you know, different strengths that, that allow us to work quite well together and, and sort of use each other's strengths for for things that we might have found more tricky. Their first port of call was to draft some freedom of information requests. They wanted to ask the police if and when they worked with immigration officials. So we sent off some a couple of freedom of freedom of information requests. Um, I think one to the, the Mets and one to Greater Manchester Police as two of the larger kind of police forces. But these requests are tricky. They take research to get them right. Yeah, I, I, I've uh, a long and uh, harrowing experience of freedom of information requests, like like mo- most journalists. So um, you have to think through what the piece of information or document that you're looking for is, and you have to define it as clearly and narrowly as you possibly can, especially if you're asking about something which the place that's holding that information might find embarrassing they will find any reason possible to uh to delay you or um come back and say oh can you can you refine your question uh, more so um we specifically asked about about policy um you know what is your what is your policy on this um and if possible provide the the documentation they waited and waited and then the response came back. I remember thinking, gotcha, now, now this, is, you know, this is significant. The Met Police had admitted through the FOI response that they would pass on details of both victims and witnesses of a crime if there were concerns over their immigration status. Migrant support groups reacted with shock, warning that people would be scared to report crimes if they feared they could be deported as a result. The pair of journalists published their story on politics.co.uk and they kept going. Natalie heard about a troubling case where a Brazilian woman, who was working as a sex worker, was robbed at knife point by five men. When she went to the police to report the crime, she said they focused more on trying to prosecute her for the sex work. And when she returned to the UK after a holiday abroad, she was detained. She was then facing deportation after, you know, sort of instead of being treated as a victim, she that the sort of case was turned and she was then being treated as a, an immigration offender. Natalie knew she wanted to report the case out, but she had to tread carefully. She needed to get more details and test their veracity while being sensitive to the woman's precarious position. Well, it, it's basic sort of journalism, I guess, in initially in terms of just trying to verify the story so it's not enough that somebody just tells us that this has happened we have to try and verify it and with that particular case uh, we were able to do that fairly easily 
Um, and we had um, a lot of information that was being passed to us through the, the, the group of people that were supporting um, this woman. Um, and we were able to verify that and, and sort of check certain points with her through them. And we looked into that and we got confirmation of the facts. And that was that story went out. Now, their first story about the Met Police's policy was shocking enough. But having details of an actual person who had been affected by the policy brought the story to life. Like you say, we, with these stories, it's quite difficult to get the um, the sort of the personal stories as such, because obviously people are very reluctant to come forward because they fear the authorities and they fear, you know, their story being told. So it's always difficult um, reporting on these issues to try and find those real people. They kept going. Samir and Natalie kept their ears to the ground, following leads and reporting on any examples they found of victims of crime being treated in a hostile way because of their immigration status. And soon they were to hear of a really shocking case. More after this. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Samir and Natalie are working together digging into and documenting cases where the police treat victims of crime as illegal immigrants, focusing on their immigration status instead of what they've been through. Samir was working away in the evenings while working full-time at a race and equality charity. But it was his day job that gave the pair their big break. We were kind of linked into various networks um, of people who... Um, were supporting people who um, were in immigration detention or were needing um, like legal support or like social support and it, it was on one of these these email lists that on one day this um, email just just dropped and you know and, and I, I I looked at the the screen I kind of like like stopped myself because it was it was like unbelievable it was um you know it was, uh, it was it was almost 
speechless. And he sent an email through and said, oh my God, look at what I've just seen. And it was, it was details of the Havens case and I was just shocked. Samir had opened a message sent to a group email list, an email that charted a shocking case. A woman had been kidnapped and raped over a period of six months while she was living in Germany. When she came to the UK, she finally felt safe enough to go to the police to report the crime. She was five months pregnant at the time. But instead of sympathy, she was arrested. The police turned up at the Havens, a sexual assault clinic, where she was being treated and carried out the arrest. She was then taken to a police station and interrogated about her immigration status. And, you know, you just kind of think, like, what? Like, what? Like, what on earth would, would make you think that this was a, um, a, a, a sensible, compassionate, human thing to do? You know, here, here's someone who's, who's experienced one of the most traumatic things like, like known to known to known to humanity and your reaction is to is to treat them like a criminal and to arrest them and to compound that trauma so you know i i responded to the person who'd who'd posted it and tried to get some some more information out of them but they you know they they responded a bit but they were very very kind of closed and very cagey with with offering more information about it and then i sent on to uh to natalie i said you know um look i've heard about this case you know we we should look into this we should try and and pin this down there's there, there's a feeling that kind of in you know that the at least i and I'm, and I'm sure many other journalists get that that once you once you know something you can't you can't stop until and until it is it is done and it is told because not doing it would would you know would would seem like a you know like a like like a failure on your on on your part as a as a as a journalist as someone who holds power to account that probably that probably sounds very kind of arrogant and narcissistic but it's uh you know it's it's it, it is one of the things that 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 drives me natalie felt the same but the person who had sent that initial email couldn't go any further, wouldn't give them any more information. They knew that one email wasn't enough to go on, so they were going to have to get to work. And it was a case of literally trying every possible route that we could think of um, to get a second source to to confirm it. So um, we went through all the kind of avenues that you'd expect. We spoke to press officers. We didn't get anywhere, you know, for the police. And, and we spoke to Havens. Um, neither could sort of confirm what happened. Um, we sent numerous freedom of information requests to, to the police force. Um, and every time they would reject it for a different reason. So uh, uh, there were points where... Um, First of all, they said that they needed a date for the specific to give us information on the specific case, which we couldn't confirm. Um, so we then sent a freedom of information request, uh, just asking if any woman had been arrested within a sexual assault clinic in London within a set period of time. Um, and they came back and said that the period of time we'd given was too 
wide and therefore it'd be too expensive for them to check individual cases. So we narrowed that right down to the around the time that we, we knew it would have happened. Um, and then they rejected it because they said that the time period was too narrow and <laughs> that it may identify the case if they were to give us confirmation. Every time we got <laughs> turns away, literally everything we tried was just rebutted. So then, yeah, we really were kind of stuck in... Um in a in this kind of place of trying to find um more information we kept on kind of going back and forth with each other as to how we could do it we tried going back to the the original person who'd sent the who'd sent the email um but they again weren't, weren't willing to provide more information we tried going through um former employees um to see um like you know looking on on linkedin to see if there was anyone who we could ask um, and my editor at the time, Ian Dunn, was really supportive and we'd keep going to him and say, look, we've got this. Do you think this is enough? And he'd say, no, yeah, you need a bit more. You need a bit more. <laughs> you know, we, we, we were stuck for, for quite a while. And then we got the idea to um, ask for the, the correspondence between the Havens and the, the Metropolitan Police so we we used the freedom of information request freedom of information act to uh to ask for that correspondence and it was you know kind of months later um we got the we got the response the response to the foi this time was a section of a letter from the havens sexual assault clinic to the met police a letter complaining about the way the woman had been picked up at their facility and arrested it didn't give much information, but it was enough to confirm that the events had happened in the way the first email had suggested. After all that time, they had what they needed. That was a, a moment of, of like comparative joy and kind of like, you know, like, we, you know, eventually kind of get getting it back and being like, yes, got them. You know, it took months and months of trying to verify it before we could publish. Um, I think it was over six or seven months before we, we could publish that. They published the story on politics.co.uk with the headline, Woman reports rape to police and is arrested on immigration charges. The story was picked up by other news outlets, including The Evening Standard and The Guardian. Haroon Sadiq and Kevin Rawlinson at The Guardian were able to dig in a bit more and get some more additional details. And they, clearly, like the journalists there, were able to to, to kind of like um, call their contacts and get a bit more information. Or either that, or the the press office were deciding to be a bit more generous with them as, um, than they were with us. So they were able to to confirm that she she was arrested, taken to the police station, and then was released on immigration bail um, after that. But we never got a an answer as to you know what what happened to what happened to her after that um you know we 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 don't know um if she remained in the uk she's is she still in the uk um and that's that's a that's a really unsatisfying part of it you know it's it's a, it's a strange thing to to report on a story like that that's that's so that's so personal and is and in, you know and it involves like the 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 like like the the violation of a human being um and yet not not be able to to contact or to speak to that person or even know their name 
And that, that's a very strange feeling. And there was a real world response too. Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, reacted to the story. So yeah, after Kate, after the story came out, he quoted it and said, "This is uh, this is a completely unacceptable way to treat victims." And I've asked my deputy mayor, Sophie Linden, to pick this up with the Met as a matter of urgency. Natalie and Samir kept going. They wrote about how MPs were reporting people who came to them for help to immigration authorities. And yet, they couldn't help but think that the stories they were writing hadn't really got the attention they deserved. Where was the public uproar? Natalie had finished up working at politics.co.uk by this point and was working as a freelance. And she and Samir kept on. They weren't willing to let things lie. So by then I was freelance um, and Samir and I had sort of looked at several issues that we'd like to to look at further and in more detail um, now that I was freelance and had sort of more freedom to to look into different issues. Um, And um, we wanted to go back to police referring victims um, of crime to the Home Office and, and to look at how widespread that was. We knew that it was happening and we'd had confirmation from... Uh, two police forces when we were looking at it previously that they did it but we didn't know um, whether all did Um, and so we sent off freedom of information requests to all police forces. The FOI responses came in one by one and they revealed a shocking picture. More than half of UK police forces were handing over victims of crime to the Home Office for Immigration Enforcement. Once we had the results of those back we contacted um, Catherine Nye, a journalist um, for the Victoria Derbyshire show, um, and asked her if she'd be interested in the story and, and looking at it, because what the um, the results of the Freedom of Information request showed was that over half of the police forces um, that we contacted were referring uh, victims of crime or even witnesses of crime to the Home Office. Um, and she did, and they were they had a great team on the show who were really able to um you know push for responses from forces that we hadn't had responses from um and through their contacts, they were also able to find another case that was equally as shocking. What was your life like here? I was treated like a slave. He told me that's why I brought you here so you can cook and clean for me and get beaten by me. He used to say, the belt is not leaving as many marks, so I'm going to use the cable. A woman who had fled um, a domestic violence situation, she had run out of the house and was chased by her abuser, who then beat her or assaulted her on the street. Um, And passers-by called the police, and when the police came, she was also arrested for immigration offences. The woman was taken to a deportation centre. She had been trafficked, beaten and assaulted. Here's a lawyer talking to the BBC. It's something that we're coming across routinely now, and it's as a result of Theresa May's hostile environment policy that has been brought into effect by the Immigration Act. A 10-minute film went out on the Victoria Derbyshire show. It was an incredibly powerful piece that drew on all the work Natalie and Samir had undertaken. 
Watching the show at home, Natalie was delighted to see the story make the kind of impact she thought it deserved. It was amazing. It was really exciting. And, you know, it was on the sort of news bulletins as well. Um, and I remember sort of Catherine sending me a message saying that it was doing really well on the um, homepage, BBC homepage that morning. Um, it was really exciting. And I think for both Samir and I, we're not senior journalists. We're, um, you know, sort of plugging away, trying to make a living sort of freelancing and to get a story on the BBC and, and to see it broadcast in that way was was incredible. And because it meant so much also to the groups and, and the um, survivors groups that we were working with, that it was finally getting some attention. Um, and I think it led to um, more focus again on, on the issue and it allowed those groups to really sort of push forward. And I know they still, throughout the passing of the domestic violence bill recently you know they were pushing the whole time for um sort of measures to to safeguard migrant victims of crime um I, again i don't think ultimately they got the the result that they would have liked or we would have liked but it gave them perhaps um a bit more prominence and allowed them to really you know raise their case it was an incredible, tenacious body of journalism from both Samir and Natalie, working together to share workload and resources. But both journalists have struggled to make ends meet working in journalism alone. This kind of work takes months and it doesn't pay well. Like, yeah, send, sending off freedom information requests and emails and, and, and such kind of like during lunch times and like after work and things like that can, you know, at weekends, it can be, become a bit kind of like all encompassing. Um, but you know, I, I, I did it then and I do it now because, because I, I, I love it. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine not doing it. Now, Natalie is questioning whether she can afford to keep on working as a journalist. So it's actually, um, it's quite emotional. It's probably a bit of a strong word, but to talk about this case in particular, because it is a story that, um, I know both me and Samir are really proud of, um, and it reminds me why I got into journalism and why I love journalism, um, because these are the sort of stories that we really want to tell and want to report on. But I have personally found it very difficult. I'm I'm not based in London. I don't have perhaps the same set of contacts that, that sort of some journalists would have if they were in London. Um, and I've just found freelancing in particular very hard because it's, it's very difficult to to make a living really from it um and you know constant rejections and working on stories that perhaps don't come off is is a difficult um thing to do day in day out <laughs> um but it's it's a great job if you can make it work but because it's been so difficult i have sort of considered um stepping back from journalism and perhaps it not being my main job so my main source of income and so I don't think I'll ever completely be able to to step away but um it certainly won't be um what I'm doing day in day out because I think particularly in the current climate we've seen so many job losses in the industry um you know and and most of those people will try to to freelance at the same time and you just it becomes this bigger and bigger um you know group of people all trying to compete for the same 
small amount of work and the small fees that you often get for that work and it can be disheartening as well when you've worked a really long time on a story and you're perhaps offered a hundred pound for it when it's published (laughs) people don't you know they're shocked if I tell them that people think that journalists are you know it's all well paid and and it's this you know lucrative (laughs) uh, career but it really isn't um for lots of people and it's um you do start to think you know there's probably lots of other things I could do to to make that money that's perhaps not quite as um disheartening and (laughs) stressful at times. Losing a journalist like Natalie would be a huge loss, not only to UK journalism, but to our democracy, our society. But sadly, with revenues down and fewer journalism jobs out there, it is work like hers that might not get done in the future. Thanks to Natalie and Samir for talking us through their work. There's links to their stories in the show notes. This episode was hosted, produced and edited by me, Maeve McClendigan. Our theme music is by Dice Muse. If you're interested in investigative journalism, and I assume you are, you can read about one of my projects in my new book, which is out now, called No Fixed Abode. It details my work looking into homelessness in the UK, trying to get a handle on just how and when people were dying homeless. It's available now in all good bookstores and I would love it if you would give it a read, let people know about it. Maybe share your thoughts on social media. It's been a real labour of love and I'm really excited that it's now out in the world. Thanks as always for listening and stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.